The rest of us are going to be talking this morning about what I'm going to call our ministry of repentance. The, the ministry of Omaha Bible Church, ministry of every church really, the ministry of every believer, a ministry of repentance. And I don't mean of our repenting, though that though there's a place for that and that's important. I'm talking about our ministry that we have, that we share in together of calling other people to repent. Uh, this isn't anything new. Uh, this is what's been going on ever since... Sin entered into the world. Um, this is something that Jesus preached. Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, an Old Testament prophet of sorts, we talked about him recently, uh, even though he's in the New Testament, preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, the apostles, starting in the book of Acts in chapter 2, preached repentance. Uh, it's something uh, for 2000, uh, for this next year, for 2017, that we might say, it's a new year, so let's get ready, but it's not anything new. Um, it's age-old, it's what believers have been doing for, for millennia, calling other people to repent. Now, we'll talk about what that is, we should talk about what that is, it just kind of sounds angry, um, telling people to repent. We have no idea what it is, but it sure doesn't sound nice, Right? To repent means, most basically, if you just look at the, the word, the Greek word, it means to change your mind. Okay, so our ministry is a ministry of urging other people with passion, with compassion, hopefully with earnestness and love and sincerity. We're urging other people, if we're believers like those who've gone before us, to change their minds. Okay, to change their minds. Change their minds about what? I hope 2017 is a ministry of repentance for us. It's what I'm seeking to do here. It's what I'm seeking to do with my unbelieving friends. To get them to change their minds, the way they think, first and foremost, the way they think about God. They need to change their minds about God. They need to change their minds about Jesus. They need to change their minds about themselves and their need for Jesus. We're calling people to repent. People have wrong views of God. They have wrong views of Jesus. They have wrong views of themselves, sort of like in Romans chapter 10. We think God doesn't hold us to a perfect righteous standard. We need to repent of that. We have wrong thinking about who God is. We think He grades on a curve. He doesn't. Then we, we think that somehow we're able and we're capable, and we need to repent of that as well. We need to change our minds about how we stand before God. And we need to repent regarding our view of Jesus, that we need Him to take away our sin and to take away our guilt and to give us new life and to give us His righteousness. There's a lot of repenting that needs to be done. Okay? And it's not a mean thing. Yes, it's a corrective, but really it's the most gracious, kind, compassionate thing anyone could ever do if it's needed. Okay. This morning what we're going to do is look at some texts in John, the Gospel according to John. Interestingly enough, the word isn't used in the Gospel according to John. And yet there's all kinds of repenting going on because there's all kinds of mind-changing regarding who God is and what He requires. So I direct your attention to John because we've been studying the Gospel according to John on Sunday mornings. Uh, we're not going to get into chapter 6 per se today. We'll save that for next week. We'll restart our series. But we're going to look at passages primarily that we've already looked at. So we've already learned the context and what it's about and how things are flowing. But to, to have an understanding of how we really have 
a big ministry if we have a ministry of repentance in the United States of America in 2017. Okay? Hopefully beyond that, but certainly we, we have a lot of opportunities to call others to repentance, okay? not to mention ourselves. So to repent means to change one's mind. It doesn't mean to change your behavior, because if a change of behavior is a prerequisite for salvation, and repentance is, and salvation is by works. You don't believe salvation is by works. It's only by God's free grace. We'll talk more about that because of Christ. But you have to go from seeing God as one way to seeing Him another way. And you have to view Jesus a different way too to believe in Him as your Savior. Oh, I need a Savior. That calls, a, calls for a fundamental change of mind. And remember too, I should stick to my notes or I'm never going to get done. But remember too, in the, in the Bible, oftentimes mind and heart, they don't, we don't separate them like we do as Americans. It's really... I can't think of what the word for it is, but you're, you, it's like your central control system, okay? It's who you are. Sometimes the Bible talks about your heart. Well, it's not talking about your beating heart. It's talking about the core of who you are. And sometimes it uses mind, and it uses the two interchangeably, okay? So we're not talking about knowing something, but not having it affect your emotions, okay? We've got to change our disposition and how we think about God and who He is. Why do this? Well, we do this because people don't think the right way about God naturally. I told you to turn to John. I won't ask you to turn to Romans. But in Romans chapter 1, the, the fundamental problem is people aren't thinking about God the right way. We saw it in Romans chapter 10, even with the Jews, they're not thinking about God the right way. But in Romans chapter 1, it's fascinating as the Apostle Paul's trying to, to build his argument. He's not trying, he is. Showing that everyone is in need of Christ. Everyone is a sinner. He talks about how uh, human beings are foolish in their speculations. See, they're thinking wrong about God, and, and they give themselves the foolish speculations, and they start saying things like, I think God is like this. I think God accepts everyone. I think God grades on a curve. I think God thinks I'm better than other people, so he's going to let me in. I think, I think, I think. And what happens in Romans chapter 1 is a result of the foolish speculations and our world is filled with, I think, I think, I think, I think. What happens as a result is, Romans 1, the Apostle Paul says, therefore God gives them over. It's a form of judgment. There's a need for repentance. There's a need for no more I-thinking. There's a need for seeing God for who He really is and thinking rightly about who He is and therefore seeing your need for Christ. So there's a need that's there because Romans 1 goes to Romans 2, goes to Romans 3, and everyone is guilty. To use a big, powerful, religious word that's a good word, but we don't use it very often, we need to call people to repentance because we, because of our sinful nature, are idolaters. Okay? We create gods according to our likeness and liking, and in our image, and then we say that's who God is. To me, God is. To me, God is. To me, God is. That's, that's idolatry. It's false worship. Okay, there's a reason why people are called urgently throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament by the apostles, by Jesus. Repent. You don't get it. It's no wonder you're rejecting Jesus. You don't get it at all. And so, though we might not use the word all the time, it's something we're committed to. Jesus teaches in Luke 13, unless there's repentance, 
there's no salvation. You all know this, right? I think you, you know this. Unless you're living in a fantasy world, you know that there's all kinds of terrible thinking about God. Wrong thinking about God. Sometimes we think wrongly about God, but we know people, we love people. Some of them say they're Christians, some of them don't say they're Christians, but they've got all of these wrong views about God. And it kind of drives us crazy. And I think that's actually good that it drives us crazy because we want to tell them the truth about who God is. And even if we don't use that, that mean-spirited word or a word that they don't understand that isn't really mean-spirited, we might not say repent. It's really what we're seeking to do. We see it all around us. More than likely, you've heard wrong thinking, wrong understanding regarding God, perhaps even a lot this last week. But if you haven't, I do have an illustration for you or a little bit of um, data. I have here the 2016 State of American Theology Study okay, from Lifeway. Okay, it just came out not long ago uh, by Lifeway and then sponsored. Uh, they're the research group. They're pretty capable researchers and sponsored by Ligonier. And they're seeking to say, all right, where are Americans? Okay. Well, how do, how do Americans think about God? How do evangelicals think about God? Okay. So I thought what I would do this morning is talk about the need for repentance, illustrate that there really is a need and it's probably bigger than you think, and then have us look at passages in John, primarily ones we've already looked at, to say, oh, I'm already equipped to help people repent because I already know what's true about God from what I've already learned. And I already know what's true about Jesus from what I've learned. And then we'll leave, how about this, not super guilty, not super, oh no, I don't know how to do this. We'll leave, I hope, praising God, I've been being equipped I'm capable of helping other people repent by God's grace. No doubt we'll talk about that. Because by God's grace, I know the truth about God. Because Jesus reveals the truth about God. So just a sampling from, from the study. hope I don't get too carried away. Um, but it's very, very interesting. You can look it up on your own and download the PDF later if you'd like. But just a sampling. I have four or... So questions, maybe five. How would you answer this? How would your friends answer this? Would you agree or not agree? Jesus is the first and greatest creature created by God. Jesus is the first and greatest creature created by God. I'm afraid to look up. But I see Tim is saying no. So I'm just going to look that far. And I'm glad. Good job. <laughs> The first and greatest creature created by God, well, 36% of Americans agree. Plus another 17% agree somewhat. It's a pretty big number. 36, my math isn't too good, but let's say it's roughly 50% of Americans say that, that that's true. 71% of evangelicals say it's true. Isn't that wild? Evangelicals are people who believe the Bible is God's word and Jesus was raised from the dead. And they, they, they say they're Christians. They believe the gospel. 
either, either way you look at it, a lot of people think that, it, that it's true. And I so badly want you to say, that is so not true. I, I need to help. I need to do something. That's right. You need to call people to repentance. You totally don't understand. You don't get it. You don't know who Jesus is. Let me help you know who Jesus is according to God's revelation of himself. Jesus isn't a created being. Go to John chapter 1. He's the creator. Okay? He's the creator himself. How about John chapter 1 verse 1? You probably know it well if you've been to church very many times here. But we'll, we'll, we'll read past chapter or verse 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning, okay, reaching way back, this is Genesis talk, was the word... It's right, rightly capitalized, we'll see why. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 tells us the Word became flesh. We know it's talking about Jesus, but let's keep reading here. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. This is pre-creation. All things, how about this, were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. This is huge. This is like ABC's basics. And half the country, based upon the survey at least, gets it wrong. And, and, and two-thirds of professing believers, evangelical believers, get it wrong. John chapter 8, we're not there yet, but I can't wait to get to John 8. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what? He says, I am. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. That's why they, they, they pick up stones to kill him. It's blasphemous. He's claiming to be the eternal God. That right there is enough to motivate me. It's enough for to motivate me to just keep preaching the Bible and keep preaching through John and keep pointing you to Christ and keep reminding you that Jesus is none other than the one true living God who has always been God. It's true, he took on flesh and became a human, human being also, but he's always been God. We, have to, we can't understand anything about Christianity if we don't get that. And so, wow, you know, the, the, the fields are ripe. You've got a great ministry opportunity. Every other friend you know, or maybe even more than that if you have lots of Christian friends. If I could just be socially insensitive, they're, they're, they're idol worshipers. Because the one they say they worship, even if they say it's Jesus, isn't the Jesus of reality. And they shouldn't be worshiping him if he's a created being. That is idolatry. Worship is reserved for God and God alone. See how this is motivating? I hope it's sanctifying too in a, in a good way. You say, I am more burdened. I want to talk. I want to ask people questions like, what do you mean by what you say? And, and how about this? Not just for their good or for, for your you know, pleasure because you know more, but for the glory of God. To, to honor Him. How about another one? I don't know if I can take another one, but how about another question? People have the ability, here it is, here's the question from Lifeway and Ligonier. People have the ability to turn to God on their own initiative. 
People have the ability to turn to God on their own initiative. You kind of see the writing on the wall on this one, probably. 55% of Americans agree strongly. Surprising? Yeah, probably not. 24% agreeing somewhat. Well, doesn't really surprise us, but that, that's a lot of people. 75, 80%? People have the ability to turn to God on their own. That's idolatrous. That's paganism. That's not Christianity. It's totally not right. People have to change. They have to change the way they think about God. They have to change the way they think about Christ. And you all look like you've got beautiful feet today. Some of you. Figuratively speaking, from Romans chapter 10, you can bring them good news and tell them something else. John chapter 6. I told you we were going to look at stuff we've already looked at. Okay, if you're still in John 1, I'll, I'll go to John 1. John 1 verse 13. John 1 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Based upon what he says before that, the people who became children of God. Well, well how does that happen? It, it, it happens... According to, as he says there, the will of God. This has to be a God thing. They have to be born spiritually according to God's work. Now, we're going to get to John chapter 6. I, I, I tried to work, figure out how I could do John 6 as a Christmas sermon. I just couldn't do it. I just felt too bad. Um, how about John 6 verse 44? Probably should have done it. At least one of you told me I should have just about called me a compromiser from not preaching John 6 on Christmas. I'm saying all that tongue-in-cheek. How about John 6, 44? No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. How about 665? And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. It's no wonder, and I always remember John 666 because you know it's bad. Lots of disciples stopped following him. They don't like that. They're, they're with the rest of America. That, that's not the Jesus I believe in. That's right. It's not the Jesus you believe in. So let me help you know who Jesus really is so you can do some repenting. So you can believe in the one true Christ and that salvation is only by his perfect, awesome, amazing grace. It's not by everything that we can do in and of ourselves. I mean, let's, let's, let's agree. I mean, it puts us in our place. And you go, oh. Maybe now I understand a little bit more about what the Bible says when it says salvation is of the Lord. Wow. I don't know about you, I just feel, I feel, you know, kind of, I'm torn. I'm super excited. Like if nobody needed to hear anything, right, I'd be out of a job, number one. Might be anyway sometime for telling people. But, but, but there's this bad feeling because so many people don't know who Jesus really is. Even those who say Jesus is the reason for the season kind of stuff. And yet at the same time, I'm super excited, like, oh, I have something to share with you. 
And as we like to say sometimes, not because I know more or because I'm smart or because I grew up in the right neighborhood or the wrong neighborhood or whatever it might be. It's like a beggar telling other beggars where they can go find food. I've got to tell you this. It's so good. It's so exciting. And it radically changes everything. And then we worship God. We worship Christ because we say, He's not the one I can manage. He's not the one I thought He was. How about another one? How about this? An individual must contribute his or her own effort for personal salvation. An individual must contribute his or her own effort for personal salvation. Forty, you all know the answer to that. Now I'm going to look up. 48% of Americans strongly agree. 28% agree somewhat. So we're, we're 75-ish percent of Americans say, yeah, I contribute something to my own salvation. 8% aren't sure, so it seems like the number is even getting higher. Maybe it's not surprising to us, but that right there, again, is so motivating to me. What we've been hearing in John's gospel again and again and again in John chapter 3, right? John chapter 4. If you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. And the reason for that is when you're believing, you're trusting, you're resting, you're not doing, you're depending on one who is doing. Because he's going to do everything. This is why we would say, and the apostles would go on to say, it's, it's only by grace, it's only through faith. But most people I know, my guess is most people you know, unless you're totally isolated in a holy huddle, and if you are, you should repent. Time to get out there. Don't know this. They think somehow what they do is going to earn their way. This is why I wanted to read Romans 10 as well. We don't realize God's righteousness is what it is. We don't realize our unrighteousness is what it is. And so we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And if that's true, we don't need Christ's righteousness that comes by faith. John 3, 16, 17, John 4, again, we're going to end with John 19, or close to the end, where Jesus says it is finished, to put the capstone on everything. It's all of Him. I so badly want you to be equipped in our study to be able to communicate these things clearly and with convictions. And you can. Let's do one more, and then I think I might have heart palpitations or something. <laughs> Next question. There is one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Oh, and we're going to do one more. I just saw it in my notes. Sorry. Here, here's some encouragement for you. You've got something to work with. You've got some traction. 53% of Americans strongly agree. Awesome. 
53% of Americans are Trinitarian. Orthodoxly so. That's a great statement. There is one true God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Perfect. 16% agree somewhat. So 53 plus 16, that's 69. That's, that's really good. 97% of evangelicals agree. I don't want to burst your balloon, but how does that fit with Jesus as the first and greatest created being? Same people taking the same survey. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Because if God is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He's the eternal God, He's eternally triune, then Jesus can't be the first and greatest created being because he's the creator. And so again, it's it's I like the traction. We've got something to work with. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And so so it's 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 irrational, it's illogical. There's still a need for repentance. We say we're Trinitarian. We even have some of the right verbiage we can agree to. I bet it would be totally different if you said, please explain the Trinity. I know it would be. We have a total mixed kind of bag, a bunch of stuff floating around. Some of it's good, some of it's not good. And guess what? You're learning enough and I'm learning enough just by reading and studying the gospel according to John to be able to come alongside people and help them. And that's exciting. I think it's thrilling. It's awesome. We have such an awesome opportunity. We just have to open up our mouths and stop saying, I think, and start saying, let me read something for you. Let me help you. Okay, the last one that I almost missed, because it may relate to these things, and it does. God accepts the... I don't want to be, I'm not quoting, this is, this is me, I'm, this is me quoting the survey. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 44% of Americans strongly agree, 20% somewhat agree, that's 64%. So God accepts the worship of all religions. Well, back to the Trinitarian statement, that doesn't even make sense. If God is a triune God, for starters, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's who He is, it would be a a total contradiction to say He accepts worship by those who deny that He's a triune being. It doesn't even make sense. It's, it's It's an impossibility. Worship is knowing who He is and responding appropriately. And they say, that's not who He is. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. Oh, I accept that. It's, it's just totally ridiculous. And please remember, because I, now I just, I just violated all PC-ness. And, right? But remember Jesus in John chapter 4. Sorry, I'm going to not go there right now. 
We were there. We were there for a, a significant amount of time. In John chapter 4, Jesus talks about worship. And he makes himself utterly clear that God seeks true worshipers and Jesus is pointing to himself as the one, to the Samaritan woman, who he, by the way, is pretty rude to in love. Because he essentially tells her that her worship is bogus. He points to himself. True revelation from God. And again, I realize, so here's what we're doing. As Americans, we're so terrified of not being, so we kind of know Bible a little bit, some of us, from somewhere, and it's somewhat right and somewhat wrong, and yet we've got this huge pressure that you can't violate any kind of pluralism, and you can't say anything that would be offensive to anyone else, and that's like the worst thing ever, and so we don't know what to do, and we're not very biblically literate, and we don't have strong convictions because we're not studying John, for example, and we're like, oh yeah, that's true, that's right. It doesn't even make sense. It's like I was, talking, I was talking to a couple of Mormons a couple of days ago. And you would have been proud of me. I was so nice. I've never been this nice to Mormons ever in my whole life. I said, hey, guys, how's it going? Well, good. I said, oh, do you guys know so-and-so? No, we don't. I said, oh, he, I, I, I'm on a bike racing team, and he's one of my teammates. He's a good friend of mine. He's a Mormon too. Oh, really? So they were all excited. Man, that was nice. It's good. Can't wait to tell my Mormon friend about it. As we talked, they, I was accusing them of not being monotheists, believing in one God. It was a longer conversation than this. I'm not going to redo the whole thing. Well, I, I will, just real quick. So, so I asked him, number one, I said, you guys are Mormons, right? Yes, we're Mormons. I think I said Latter-day Saints because I wanted to be PC. Yeah, that's who we are. Tell me this, are you Christians? Yes, we're Christians. I said, okay, that's how I thought you would answer. I said, do you guys know who Lorenzo Snow is? He's one of your church's famous prophets. One looked like he did, other one looked like he didn't. I said, well, Lorenzo Snow said that as God now is, man once was. Am I getting it right? I might not be. In fact, I said to them, I might be getting this wrong. Help me. And they helped me. As God now is, man. And it, basically what they say is, God used to be a human being. God the Father. Okay? And that you as a human being, these two young guys on my porch, could become God. They said, yeah, that's right. I said, really? I said, Okay. So you can become a God. So you're Mormons, you say you're Christians, and you can become God. I said, my problem with that is, Christianity teaches there's only one true God who has always been God and always will be God. Period. And so you're not Christians. But I would like to tell you about Christ. Oh, then the fireworks went off. And so and then it was exciting and everything. And <sighs> But the thing is, when he started using theological words, and I said, well, Christianity is monotheist. There's only one God, and you're polytheist. Does that make sense? They said, that makes sense. But Mormonism is not polytheist. We're monotheist. 
I said, but you could become God, both of you? Yeah. And I'm going to do in the Scooby-Doo scratch. Going, hmm? Right? There's only one true God who's always been God, but each of you two could become God. That's polytheism. Two plus two is 17. It doesn't make any sense at all. Okay? Where am I going with this? Um, where I'm going with this is, when it comes to God accepting the worship of all religions, if He is the one true living God who has revealed Himself in Christ, and Christ is the mediator who is required, and on and on we can go from John, it's not true. I said, but we believe in Jesus. I said, you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. You believe in a fake Jesus. We believe salvation is, how about this, by grace through faith in Jesus. I said, I don't care. What would you have, what, what would you have said? Oh, we're Christians then. Let's pray. They said, we believe in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, I wanted to say, no, you don't. Look at Second Nephi. But that's what they said. And I said, I don't care. What? I don't care because the Jesus you're talking about is not the eternal God who is the one true and living God. I say all of this to you because you don't have to know Lorenzo Snow quotes because I don't either. I couldn't even remember in front of the guys on my front porch and I've memorized it. But I had strong enough convictions just from our study of the gospel according to John in the first five chapters that I could have strong enough convictions to press them on who Jesus is and call them to repentance. It's exciting. I can't wait to talk to my Mormon teammate about it. These opportunities are all around us. And you don't have to be an arrogant, mean guy. You don't have to be a mean lady. You don't have to be a know-it-all. You just have to know some basic things about who Christ is and what He's done and what He says. Well, we need to, 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 to wrap things up. I would like you to, to look at John 1 one more time, if you would. And here's where I was going to tell you, how in the world can we do this? But I've already let the cat out of the bag. The way we can do this and get equipped to be good, faithful servants, calling people to repentance, is by doing what we've been doing looking at who Jesus really is and what Jesus really says, and then we're equipped. Okay? John 1.18 is, is super helpful when it comes to this. No one has ever seen God. That right there you should just underline and highlight and hide in your heart because that right there is going to equip you to be a good ministry of repenter person. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. How in the world can we, with convictions, without being total egomaniacs who make things up, how could we say things with conviction? We can say these things with conviction because of this thing called the Incarnation. Jesus came here, and Jesus, how does it say it in the text? May, has, may, has made him known. Jesus made God known and he walked the earth. He was really here. 
making God known personally, clearly. And he didn't mumble or stutter like I do and you do. He uses the, the, the Greek word that we translate sometimes. We don't use it very often, but we do sometimes in academic circles. He exegeted God. He interpreted God. So much for the objection. Well, that's just your interpretation. That's just your interpretation. No, no, no. How about this? Jesus came here and he spoke and he interpreted God so that we could know God. That should translate into you having convictions, owning these things, repenting too, right? And then being willing to say, I'm going to help other people and point them to the one true living God. And it's not a matter of I think or I guess. Jesus made God known. It's amazing. It's awesome. It could lead you to be prideful, and it shouldn't. But it should lead you to have have strength of conviction and own these things. See, that's right. I can know this is true. I can know about worship. I can know about how to be saved. I can know that salvation isn't my works. I can know who God really is because Jesus made him known. It's awesome. It's amazing. How can you know other religions aren't the right way? You could never know because your sin so clouds everything. Jesus exegeted God, though. You can know. The height and absolute height of arrogance is for me to stand before you and say, I don't know. Nobody can know. How do you know Christianity is right? The incarnation! Not to mention resurrection. Not to mention ascension. Not to mention other things. It's amazing. So next week we're going to be in John 6. And I hope what happens is we see Jesus for who he is because he exegeted God. He interpreted God. And we're going to see Jesus and it should cause us to worship him because he's worthy of our worship. It should cause us to trust in him if we haven't. It should cause us to have a greater trust in him if we've already trusted in him. And it should cause us to be able to leave better equipped to love our neighbor and to point them to Christ with super, super beautiful feet like prophets have. Romans chapter 10. It's thrilling. It's exciting. Let me end by saying, you can't get anyone to repent. So now I have to preach another sermon. No, I don't. But the Apostle Paul does make it clear, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, that God grants repentance. Okay? So as you go and you tell people the truth about Jesus, go for it. Do it. But just know that God is the one who has to change their mind heart. He has to change their heart mind, right? God has to do it. I love it that he says that God may grant them repentance. He uses the word for grace. God has to grace them with repentance. So we don't have to go sell anything. We don't have to do some kind of scheme or pressure or manipulation. But we do need to tell them the truth. And pray that God would grant them repentance. Just as he's granted you repentance. So you don't think the same way you used to think. Well, I hope you're half as excited as I am. About the privilege that we have having a ministry of repentance. It is amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fact that 
you've given us this privilege that you've granted repentance to us so that we might call others to believe in Christ and repent themselves, knowing full well that you grant faith and you grant repentance and it's all of you. But we do know, even in light of what we read in Romans 10, that you use human agency, you use human beings, you use proclaimers. And so my prayer this morning for the men and women and the boys and girls who are here is that they would find themselves motivated to tell others the truth about Jesus and his His life and his death and his resurrection and all that he is and all that he promises to be, even as the one who will return and make every wrong right. Encourage us, encourage us as a local church. Um, Help us to, to have our eyes fixed on you and not on ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.